Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Israel is kind of like that Britney Spears song. <clears throat> you know? Did it again. Oops. Here we go. Did it again. Israel's life is kind of like that song. I don't know about, it's probably not true for us, but probably true for Israel. It's definitely true for me in my life. Really, Jared? Israel's no different. Like they can't stop screwing their life up. Like they can't stop, they can't not not do it. You know what I mean? Like they're just, just hell-bent to find a way to take their life and throw it in the gutter. It's never the intention, is it? It's not my intention. It's, the, it's probably not yours. But how many times do you find yourself in? That's Israel. Daniel's probably 14 years old when all of a sudden this army rolls into town, snatches him up, and hauls him off to captivity. It's like now you're going to live somewhere else. And they knew. It was crystal clear. Do you know why this happens to you? Of course you do. Because you didn't do the thing you were supposed to do. Obedience is important. And I know, here's what we think as adults, right? Here's what we think. Eh, I mean, obedience is important, important, but, you know, I don't know that I really need to do everything I think I'm supposed to do. Not everything. I mean, I'm doing better than I was doing last year. I mean, my life isn't a wreck like it was last year. Obedience matters. If you don't believe that, then let your kids get away with that phrase sometimes. Hey, go to your room. Go clean it up. I want you to wash the dishes. Do this. Hey, 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 hey. Listen, Dad. Here's the deal. Now, look, I'm, I'm 15 years old, all right? 15. I do so much more now than I used to do when I was 14. So how about you just get okay with that? Oh, oh, is that what you want to do? You want to do that? Oh, that's how you want to do it? Oh, I got brand new news for you. Brand new news for you. Here's news. Now you don't get to leave the house until you're 25. You know those keys you've been jingling around that belong to me? Put them away. Now they're mine. Right? This is the way it goes. There's no way we would let that happen. If you're a boss at a workplace and you walk in and be like, look, here's the deal. I want things done this way. And somebody stands up. Some guy just stands up and says, you know, I was thinking about this. I've been working here a few years. Last year, I didn't do nearly as much as I'm doing this year. I think probably I'm just going to rest it a little bit on some of those orders you've been, you've been throwing down the line. Oh, is that what you've been thinking? I got some news for you. I got some paperwork for you to fill out. They're going to need it at your next job. You're done. But this is how we view obedience. Generally speaking, Israel is guilty of one thing, forgetting God. Just generally speaking, they forgot God. But more specifically, they worshiped other gods. They, they made idols, bowed down to them. They didn't treat each other with mutual consideration and kindness. And there's this last part, this last part that I just stumbled on. I just stumbled upon this. I didn't even know that this was a thing. I mean, I'd heard it, but I didn't know it was a part of this thing. Israel gets sent off into captivity. And one of the things that God says they are guilty of, 
And part of the reason they're hauled off to captivity is this. You didn't let the land rest. Excuse me? You didn't let the land rest. <laughs> you all have the same look on your face that I had when I read that. I was like, what? In a rural community, this sermon might not be a good one. All you farmers out there, from this point forward, on the seventh year, I need you to let your crops just lay still, all right? Don't do anything on the seventh year. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, you'll see that coming with my tithe check. But that's what Israel did. Why is that? Why was that such a big deal to God? It sounds petty to me. It sounds petty to you. It's kind of a petty thing. Like, let the land rest. Farm for six years. On the seventh year, don't farm. If the crops produce something, you can have it. But if it doesn't produce anything, well, obviously, you can't have it. If it does, then good. Go ahead. Pull it up. It's great. But do not work the soil. Israel just kept doing it. Kept doing it. Why? I don't even need to ask, do I? Why would they keep doing that? Why would Israel not take the Sabbath and let the land rest? It's a dumb question, isn't it? It's a really dumb question. You know why. Why do you burn a candle at both ends? Mm-hmm. Why don't you rest? What are you hustling for? What are you trying to get done? What are you trying to get? What are you trying to buy? You know why they didn't let the land rest. Why? Money. The nickel. Money. They're not going to let it happen. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to cut corners. I mean, I want to do what God wants me to do, but there's some areas in my life that I'm kind of like, you're meddling, God. You're meddling in my, in my, in my business, right? You kind of, it's a little invasive, a little intrusive. God coming up next to me telling me, you know, I would love to say I'm not guilty of it. Here's the problem with it. Here's the problem with it. You don't let the land rest because... The love of money is in your heart. That's why. That's the only reason why. You got the love of money and it's stuck right in your heart. Here's what I know. If you love money, here's a few things you'll do. You'll cheat. If you love money, you'll cheat. We all know people who do. If you love money, you'll find a way to Cut the corners on the IRS. True or false? If you love money, you will cheat other people, maybe even people close to you, if you love money. If you love money, you will cut corners. But you know whose corners you won't cut? Yours. You won't cut your own. You know who's first in line to get their corners cut when it comes to the love of money? God. We will cut corners on God so quick, won't we? When it comes to the dollar, I was gonna. I was gonna help out. I mean, I want to help. I want to do. I want to help. I want to do something. But I, I can't. Why? That's the question. Why? Personally, where you are, whatever it is that you do with your money, 
Why are you not more generous than you are? Now listen, I'm not talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about generosity in general. You look around, there's people around us everywhere. There's organizations everywhere who need help, who need finances. There's always a cause that you could give to of somebody who is in more need than you. Why don't you give more? Why are we not more generous? That's right. Because I got the love of money in my heart. That's why. Now, here's what we'll do. I'm just shrewd. I'm shrewd. I mean, I want to be a good financial. Okay, super. Then you know what you should do? You should plan this year to give to those organizations next year. If you're so shrewd, that's the way you should do it. Pull it aside and then start thinking about somebody other than yourself. Woo, Jared, how about this? You get back to your sermon and get out of my pocketbook. Oh, I know. I'm with you. I'm in the chair just like you. This is exactly what's going on. Why can't Israel let the land rest? Because that's the reason why. You know what else is interesting? Jesus talks about the love of money in the New Testament probably more than he talks about anything else. It's no wonder. He learned it from his dad. You know what else he learned from his dad? He learned about farming. You see, God's a farmer. God cares about the soil. Farmers care about the soil. Some of you, every once in a while on Facebook, I'll see somebody post something like, they'll be, they'll be riding behind a big tractor. They'll take a picture of it, and they'll say, Oh, Kansas. It's like, okay, what? Oh, 35 and a 65. Oh, farmers. God's a farmer. God cares about the soil. Farmers care about the soil. They care about the weather. They care about the rain. They care about the seed. They care about the time. They care about the season. Jesus couldn't shut up about, about farming, could he? Anytime he starts talking about the kingdom of heaven, starts talking about spiritual growth, he's always talking about soil. He's always talking about seeds. Why? He learned it from his dad. His dad's a farmer. It's all about growing stuff. God knows how to grow stuff. And if God says take the year off, guess what? Probably better take the year off. Here's what's crazy, though. The idea of Sabbath, we understand it from the standpoint of you've got to take a day off so that you can rest. Now, none of us really do that very well, right? I'm going to take a Sabbath for what? I've got this other project going on at home. I've got to go find something else to do. i got to go back to the office. I got a little time. I'm going to go back to the office. I left the office. Now I'm a Sabbath. I'm going to go back to the office. And why is that a problem? Because God's about rest. You need to rest. You need to rest. Your oxen need to rest. Your friends need to rest. You know what else needs to rest? The land. The land needs to rest. Why is God so hung up about this? Here's why. Because Israel is his. I know. that In my head, that sounds so much more powerful. But when I say it, you hear it. It's like, okay, the whole world. He's got the whole world in his hands, Jared. Whole world. He's got not just Israel. No, no, no. I, I understand it. I understand. He created it all. But here's the deal. He loves Israel. He loves Israel. Why? There's a couple reasons. He picked it out. Like he picked it out. He pointed to it and he said, that's mine. This piece right here. You know what else is interesting about Israel? Is it is this place that connects so many other continents. This is where the Romans all of a sudden put, put in this highway and this road, and it cuts right through the middle of it. 
almost the whole entire western side, I mean eastern side, is just wrapped up in Israel having to figure out, this is how we get to these places. What do you got to go through? You got to go through Israel. God knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing with the gospel message. He knew exactly what he was doing. Why was the Messiah born there? He knew what he was doing. He loves the land. He loves the area, but he loves the soil. Here's what else is interesting. When God talks about all of the, all of the things that the soil is, you don't understand everything that grows out of the ground gives glory to God. Think about Jesus' words. Think about some of the Psalms. And the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Even Solomon in all of his splendor could not adorn himself as beautiful as the flowers of the field. Every single thing that comes out of the ground, listen, even to the point to where it says, and the rocks will cry out. You see, everything is holy. Everything is spiritual. And this piece of land right here is important. And Israel said, eh, doesn't seem that important. Let's just ravage the land. Let's just farm right. Let's just farm right through it. Forget the Sabbath seasons. And now they're going off into captivity. And you know what part of the reason is? You skipped all those Sabbath years and now you're going to pay for it and I'm going to let the land rest. And for 70 years while they're in captivity, the farming, the agriculture in Israel goes void. The whole place is desolate. Here's what's crazy. Leviticus chapter 26, this is the way God says it. Then the land will, check out this word, enjoy its rest. God personifies the land as if it has human emotion. It's going to enjoy the rest. You're going to pay for every single one of those Sabbath years that you skipped. And it adds up to 70. Back to Daniel. Daniel's 14 years old. He's been drug away from his family. He's in Babylon. Nothing is familiar. He probably thought his life was completely over. Did you ever get like that? Like you get a little bit of, little bit of trouble in your life and you're just like, oh, it's over. Hold on. I get a little dramatic. Um, and I have a phrase that I always use. I always use this. If I break a key off in a lock or I can't find my keys or my sunglasses or my wallet, um, I'll come in and I'll say, oh, the whole life sucks. Well, it's, not it's not true. But I get a little dramatic at times. Like, oh, my whole life sucks. Really, why? I can't find my sunglasses. So your whole life is terrible? Yeah, my whole life sucks. Why? Daniel probably thought my whole life is over. Here's the deal. It's just beginning. Oftentimes, that's, that's what goes on in our lives, isn't it? A little bit of physical pain, a little bit of psychological pain, a little bit of emotional pain. Do you know what happens to you almost instantly? You grow. You grow. You know what you've never grown? In a warm bath full of complacency and mediocrity. Just swimming around like, it's so nice in here. Isn't it? Just treading water. Just loving this warm, this warm swimming pool of, of mediocrity. Love it. You don't grow there. You don't grow. You know when you grow? When things get hard. When things begin to torque down on you when there's trials in your life, all of a sudden, then you're forced to go find answers outside of your own dome, right? Those are the times that you go looking for answers. Now, here's what we like to do. Now, I got this. I got this. I got this. 
I got it. I don't need any help. I don't need any help. I just want you to know if that's you. You're the I don't need any help guy. Can I tell you what's going on at your home? Everybody's, everybody's having a terrible time. Everybody's having a terrible time. If you're the guy that's like, I don't need any help. I got this. Everybody around you is miserable. You understand me? Like everybody around you is miserable if you're the I don't need any help guy. Just for the record. Not a part of the sermon. That's for free. All right? <laughs> Send me an email. Tell me you don't like it. I'll agree with you. You don't like it. Okay? This is what we do. We need a little psychological pain, a little emotional pain, a little mental anguish for us to be pushed forward to grow. And this is exactly what God said about Israel. You just can't get it, can you? Okay, all right, all right. Line up, everyone's getting a spanking. Off to Babylon you go. Sends them to Babylon. 70 years. Darius is on the throne now. Daniel's been there quite a while. Through the last several years of, of Daniel's time there and this entire nation of Israel that's stuck in Babylon, Daniel's figured something out. And now you're not going to like this either. You're not going to like this either. But Daniel's figured something out. He has a set of gifts and skills that he was not aware of. But it took a little bit of, a little bit of trial in his life for him to discover them. Let me say it again. Daniel had gifts and abilities in his life that he was not aware of that only came to light through trial. Is that true for you? You learn a little bit about yourself, a little bit of resilience, your pain threshold expands a little bit. When? In trial. And Daniel learns, oh my goodness, he learned something new about himself. So apparently, since I've been in Babylon and things have been going so swell, for me and my whole nation, I have the ability to interpret dreams and decipher visions. And here's what it keeps doing for him. It keeps moving him up the ladder into this place of promotion every single time. Now, this is super cool. This is a super cool thing. And it's something that you've got to hang on to for just a second. Daniel keeps getting a promotion with every administration, every king that comes in that gets conquered. He gets a promotion and gets put back in the same position. And it's this, head of the Magi head of the magicians, head of the soothsayers, and the mystics. He always gets that same promotion every single time. We're going to make you second in charge of the kingdom, but, but for sure, you're going to be the one who takes care of all of this, the dreams, the visions, all this stuff. That's what you're going to be, that's what you're going to be doing. Oh, you want to know why that's interesting to me? Here's why. Because... 400 and some odd years later, 400 and some odd years, maybe almost 500 years later, from this moment when Daniel begins to get this promotion, 400 and some odd years, maybe 500 years later, something's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a guy on the throne in Jerusalem, in that area, and his name is Herod. There's going to be a young couple who makes their way to Bethlehem to have a baby. They're going to have this baby, and then there's going to be a knock on Herod's palace door. And who's outside but this caravan of what? Magi. <gasps> who told them? Who told them to be looking for a king? Who, who was the head 
recorded the Magi 500 years prior? Who's been writing books on this? Who's been informing all of the people around there? Who's been telling them, hey, listen, I got a prophecy for you. Here's what I know. Here's what I understand. Who has been honing in on this thing? And so they took their skills of being able to look at the stars and tell you what's going on, and they took the information from what Daniel has given them, and they begin to put it all together, and they show up at Herod's door on this day, and they rap on the door, and they say, so show me where the king of kings lives. And Herod's like, <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't mean me. No, he's a newborn. I can't verify that information, but it's interesting, isn't it? Daniel's getting all kinds of visions, all kinds of prophecy about a, about a Messiah. Here we are, 500 some odd years later, the Magi come from where? Where do they come from? The very same place Daniel is right now. Interesting. Very interesting. Daniel's learned this skill, this craft. Then he, he stumbles on something. Have you ever got some new information on something and your mind's just blown? Your mind's just completely blown? You read something and you're like, oh my goodness. I recently had this deal. If you don't know anything about this, I want you to look into this thing called the Enneagram. If you haven't had your mind blown in a little while, look into this thing called the Enneagram. Some of you are going to send me text messages and emails all next week and be like, OMG, I'm a three with a two wing. You're going to lose your mind on this deal, the Enneagram, because it's an ancient personality test, and it just, it just answers so many questions, and you begin to just stand and be like, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm normal. I'm just a seven, you know? This is what this is about. So Enneagram blew my mind. Daniel's in the very same position. He gets a letter from Jerusalem. It's from a prophet named Jeremiah. It's the book of Jeremiah. It's a letter written Daniel gets a copy of it. He begins to read it. We're in Daniel chapter 9. He begins to open up this letter. Look what it says in Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Daniel's 14 when he gets there, right? He's 14 years old when he shows up in Babylon, and now he's been there. He doesn't even maybe even know how long he's been there. And something happens. He gets this letter, and it's so perfectly timed, too, because Jeremiah writes in there, and the desolation of Jerusalem is going to last 70 years. That means their time in captivity, while Jerusalem's getting ravaged, and the, the nation of Israel is, is in captivity, 70 years. And Daniel begins to count backwards. Let's see, when, when did I get here? How old am I now? 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, 67? 67? We've been here 67 years. Jeremiah says we're only going to be here 70 years. We're here 67 years. You know what that means? In three years, we're going home, and Daniel says our people are not ready. We're not ready. We are not in good we, we have to get our hearts right because we're going home. And you know what happens? You begin to make some changes. You know, like a New Year's resolution. You're like, this next year, I'm going to lose 24 pounds. I'm going to get down to this. I'm going to work out every single day, right? Valentine's Day rolls around and you completely forgot your resolution and you got chocolate all down your face and you're sitting there watching Netflix, binge watching Netflix. You've been there for hours and all of a sudden something comes on. And it's like New Year's resolutions. How many of you and you're like, that's what I was going to do. That was like 24 pounds ago, the other direction, right? This is the way it goes. And Daniel begins to look at this and go, 
oh, we're going home in three years. We better shape up. You know what happens when you stay in captivity too long? You stay in that burden too long? When you live in that place of, of, of trying time too long and you begin to just be like, you know, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I mean, I'm just living with it. I'm just dealing with it. Sometimes we just, just deal with it. Are you where you're supposed to be spiritually? I mean, I'm better than I used to be. Are you where you're supposed to be spiritually? I mean, I'm better than I was last year. Are you leading your family like you're supposed to be? I just kind of fell in a rut. These are the things we said. And I just kind of fell in. I just kind of, just kind of in a rut. I kind of lost focus of what's important. I stopped, stopped doing the small things that, that really mattered. And yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not, not where I'm supposed to be in Daniel says Israel's not either. It's time to shape up. And then Daniel does something that he learned how to do when he's in a trying spot. This is what everybody learns how to do in a trying spot. You know the one thing you learn how to do when life just continues to crush you over and over and over? Other than complain, when you're done complaining, do you know what you learn how to do real well? Pray. What's your other option? You don't have any other option. You ever had that kid in your life, that person in your life, that sibling, to where you've done everything you could possibly do to bring that person closer to the Lord or, or to church or to get them to that place? Some of your parents are like, oh, yeah, I got that kid. And all you can do, and you've tried and tried, you try to manipulate them, you try to pay them, try to bribe them, you know, try to guilt them, find a way to just push them. It won't move won't do the right thing, then you end up in that place, don't you? That place. God, <laughs> I give up. I don't even know what to do with my kids. I don't even know what to do with my parents, with my friends, with my brother, with my sister, with my boss. I have no idea what to do with these people. Lord, I need you to intercede for me on behalf of, on behalf of them. Like, I don't even know what to do. Lord, take them. Take them. Daniel gets to that same place. He learns how to pray, and he is going to pray a prayer that is not a simple, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for his food. This prayer is, this prayer is painful. This prayer is humbling. This prayer is a powerful prayer. Let me read you the first few lines of it. This is in chapter 4, verse 9. I mean, chapter 9 of, uh, yeah, verse 4 of chapter 9. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. Listen close. We have sinned and we have done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and princes and fathers and to all the people of the land. Do you know what word just keeps popping out to me? We. We. You know, what, you know what identifies? You know what identifies a strong spiritual man, a strong spiritual woman? When you stop casting judgment on somebody else and you begin to say, we're all in this together. Listen, we've screwed stuff up, right? It gets out of that thing in between husbands and wives to where we go, well, your problem is, and we go back to, we don't do well in this area. We don't communicate. 
Well, what you do is, no, we throw that out and we go to this place of, here's the problem. We have not done a good job of honoring God with our lives. If we would, things would be different. The more we're pointing and we're blaming and we're not joining together and saying, listen, here's the problem. If you've sinned, then I'm guilty too. Oh, well, that's not, you start starting to sound like my gym teacher. Okay, everybody get quiet. And there's the one quiet kid in the back. Got those idiots, those jocks up at the front, just yammering on. Teacher turns around, hey, quiet. So, all right, everybody on the baseline, right? Everybody get on the baseline. We're running. We're going to run until Christmas. And everybody's running. And the one kid in the back is just like, I, I didn't say a word. Yeah, well, you're with the idiots. So run. If one's guilty, we're all guilty. Well, I didn't commit that sin. Of course you didn't commit that sin. Are you saying you did not commit a sin? Well, I would never do what that guy did. Well, you couldn't. He was doing it. You were doing something different. Yeah, he was busy doing that. You were busy doing something else. Daniel begins to move into that place of responsibility as the spokesman for all of Israel and says, whoa, 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 whoa. We did this. You're good, and we did this. And he begins to own it. It's really, really cool. It's really cool. Daniel comes back. Here's what he says. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us. This is verse 12. And against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like has been done in Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord by turning to God from our sins and giving attention to your truth. Do you hear the phrase? Your truth. You probably hear that a little bit these days, don't you? Well, my truth is this. Oh, is it? Oh, is it? Well, here's my truth. Oh, you get your own truth? With your own little name tag, you put it on there? You think that's new? You think that's a new idea? That you get to create your own truth? It's not a new idea. It's an old idea. It's exactly what Israel's been doing for thousands of years. Israel stands up and says, well, here's the real truth. Here's our truth. What Daniel says is, God, we repent. We're sorry. Here's what we want. We want to take our life. We want to take our life, and we want to lay it down, and we want to say this. You are right, and your truth needs to become our truth. Not the other way around. Our truth needs to become God's truth. No. God's truth becomes our truth. That's one of the things he says. Here's another one that he says. Um, verse 15. Now, Lord, our God, who brought our people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn for everyone around us. Verse 17. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look on with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear O oh God, and hear, open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Do you know why we appeal to God? We appeal to God because of His 
righteousness. Now, here's what happens in a group like this, in a group this size. Someone in here, probably more than just a someone, several of us, maybe most of us, have had this thought inside of our mind. If I could just kind of get some of my stuff together, my life, if I could get my life together a little bit better, I probably wouldn't feel so guilty about going to church. You ever been there? I mean, if I just felt like I really kind of had a handle on things, then I could show up to church. Then I wouldn't feel like I don't belong in church because I need to get myself cleaned up a little bit. So here's what you're saying. Here's what you're saying to God. I think you were really super at what you do, but I think what I do is probably better. Wait, 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 Jared, I, I, I'm not saying that. No, no, that's exactly what you're saying. What you're saying is what God does is not as effective as what you do. A friend of mine puts it this way. God is better at saving than you are at sinning. Do you know that? God is better at saving than you are at sinning. He saw it coming. He saw it coming. He knew exactly what you were going to do. There's a few things I want to point out from this, from this prayer. Individual sin has a corporate effect. Individual sin has a corporate effect. Here's another one for you. Corporate complacency, corporate complacency can sometimes disguise itself as unity. See, here's what happens, I think, in churches like ours. See, we get along pretty good. Like, we don't have a, we don't have a whole lot of fights here because there's not, there's not much to vote on, right? We're not going to argue about carpet. You know why? Because there ain't some. That's why. Right? It's not going to happen. Not, we're not going to put a, an idea out there and be like, hey, let's talk about this. What do you think? It's not going to happen. We're not going to give you the option to vote about what's going to happen. We're going to hand that over to the elders. They're going to make those decisions. We're not going to do that. There's not much we can fight about. But you know what that does leave room for? Complacency. It, it looks like unity. Oh, we never fight. Our church is so calm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But are we complacent? Are we really sharing the gospel with other people like we should? Are we inviting others into the family? Have we realized that what we do as a church is to populate heaven and that that lands on us? That the command given to us was populate heaven? Is it corporate complacency or do we just like it to call it unity? Is that better? That's the danger in it. Here's something else that happens. You see this in the, in the verse. God's punishment is God's righteousness. I'll share this one with you and then we'll, then we'll close out. If I step into my home and my daughters are arguing or fighting, one is picking on the other. And I go in and I say, all right, that's enough. Go to your room. You're in trouble. You're grounded. Give me your phone. Turn off the TV. You're done. You got chores now. Go burn the trash. Rake the leaves. Do whatever. Go. Oh, hate it. I hate it that my dad would step in and protect my sister from me. I hate that. Oh, it's terrible. This is the kind of thing that happens when you have kids. You don't know what kid likes to get in trouble for picking on their sibling. I didn't. But let me ask you this. If somebody broke into my house, and they wanted to harm my children. 
And I stood by and I didn't do anything at all and I just let it happen. Would you consider me a good person, strong man? Absolutely not. What about my kids? How would they see me? Dad, Dad, why didn't you protect us? You see, this is exactly, exactly how we see God. I don't want God to step in and punish me for doing wrong. But you know what I do want? I want God to step in and punish you for screwing me out of something. Right? I don't want God to punish me for my sins, but I hope he gets you. Oh, I hope he gets you. Or get him, or get that guy. Or get my boss, get him. I don't like him at all. Get him. This is the way we view God. God's punishment is his righteousness. We have to learn to accept the fact that when God steps in and punishes us for sins that we've committed, we have to accept that as, you know what? I do want this to work the other way as well. I do want him to protect me and I do want him to, to, to fight and have revenge for me. I want him to do that. But all too often, we just want things to be one-sided. God's righteousness, he is just a just God. He can't change and be different about it. He is always just. Only God can fix what we have broke. Daniel puts that out in front of me. We do not come to you on the basis of our own righteousness. We come to you based on your righteousness. That is our approach, God. Here's the last thing. On basis of prayer, our basis of prayer has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with who he is. If you were here this morning and you find yourself in that place of saying, I need to do something more with my life. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to be baptized. But you think to yourself, I'm, I'm kind of coming apart at the seams. My relationships are no good. And I'm really just trying to hold the whole mirage together. You need to stop. You need to stop. You can't do that. You can't do it. Look, if it's broken, take it into a repair shop and get it fixed, would you? You would with anything else in your life, wouldn't you? But when it comes to us, what do we do? No, we hide. Look, if you're falling apart at the seams, you have to understand something. We approach God based on His righteousness, not on our own. He already understands the agreement. The agreement is this. You're going to show up broken, and in everything He has and everything He is, He will put us back together. If you do not know Jesus Christ and how to get to Jesus Christ, then come talk to me. I would love to visit with you about that. Let's pray, and we'll jump into part two next week, Daniel chapter 9. Um, part two, starting verse 20 next week. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for everything that you've done. We, uh, we uh, recognize our inability, our lack of courage, our weakness to come to you and to just be humble and, and brokenhearted. Ask you for help, but we ask that you'll give us the courage to do that. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon.